Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Welcome to the Vineyard Church. Glad you're here. We are uh, continuing in our series about Jesus, and if you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series about Jesus, and you are coming really on the front end of the series. We're only 18 weeks in. We got at least 52. You are not too late. You can go back and binge watch all the other sermons online, and um, you can read through. We're going through the book of Mark and looking at the story of Jesus, and I hope that you will come along Uh, Grab a notebook so that you can take notes along the way. And as we're getting to know Jesus better and more truly who he is based on the words of the people who knew him best, uh, it has been transformative. I know it has been in my life and the lives of other people I've been talking to. Not only is it fun, it's a fun ride, but it it changes the way you see the world. And that's kind of the point of Scripture. It shapes our worldview and helps us do life better and get better at life. And I hope that's the case for you as you come along on this journey. Now, last week, we left Jesus in Mark chapter 6. We read verse 1 through verse 6. Jesus had come home for Mother's Day. Uh, it, was, it didn't go well because he left. He was just a, a carpenter. He came back, and now he's kind of claiming to be the Messiah. And all the people who knew him for 30 years are like, you're kind of full of yourself. And uh, it, it just it didn't go well for Jesus. But we learned a lot about faith. And if, again, if you missed that message, go back, watch it. You can podcast it, listen to it. But catch that message. It was an important, important message. This week, we find Jesus. He moves on from Nazareth, where he was from, uh, and he is going from village to village. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, in verse 6 is where we're going to begin. Now, uh, if you have a paper Bible and you've been with, at this a while, it probably just automatically opens up there anyway because you've been, we've been there. Uh, but, you know, use the index if, you, if not. Uh, and if you have a digital version, click on Mark and click on 6 and Follow along in your Bible. That's encourage that each and every week, and I hope you're reading during the week. This is what it says, though, in chapter 6, verse 6 of Mark. It says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over evil or impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word and we do pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear it, to understand it, and Lord, that you would shape our lives by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus leaves Nazareth. He says he calls the 12 to himself, and he begins to send them out. 
He, he, this is the kind of step one, phase one of the Jesus plan to save the world, right? The first, first phase of it, what we've seen so far, it has been Jesus. Jesus is doing the teaching. Jesus is doing the healing. Jesus is all surrounding Jesus. But now he takes a very strategic step. He calls to himself 12 of his followers. Uh, he's got more than 12. We don't know exactly how many, but he had more than 12 disciples Disciple was just a student, and he had more than, more than 12 students, but he had 12 that he called to himself and said, these guys are kind of the inner circle, and we call them the apostles. So he calls them to himself, and he sends them out to, uh, to do what he's been doing, uh, preaching and healing and delivering people and, and all those things. Now, it's interesting, if you read ahead in, in the story, he eventually sends out 72 and then after Pentecost, about 140. And after that, with the persecution in Jerusalem, well, the whole church gets scattered and sent out all over the world to do ministry. And that brings me to point one. So pull out your travel journal and write this down. Point one, this is it. You are called into full-time ministry. It wasn't just the 12 apostles. It wasn't the 72 disciples. It wasn't just the people in the early church. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. And I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, I'm not in full-time ministry. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a plumber. I'm a, I'm a this. No, 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 no. That's what you're paid to do. That's what pays the bills so you can do full-time ministry. Because as a follower of Jesus, we are here to represent him and to help people find and follow him. And that is our first and primary purpose. No, and, and if it's not, then something's out of whack in your life a little bit. Uh, I think we get confused between paid and unpaid ministry, right? Because, uh, well, I get paid to be a pastor. I'm a professional ministry person. Okay, and that actually creates some disadvantages for me because uh, I don't get as much face time out in the world with ordinary people who don't know Jesus yet. Uh, but a lot of you do. Uh, and you are in full-time ministry wherever you are. If you're, if you're you know, a, a professor, you're a, a minister who happens to teach to pay the bills. That's, that, that's really what it comes down to. And, and one of the, the words or terminologies that we use in the church that I think is really unhelpful with this, but you'll hear it a lot in church world, is uh, we'll say when somebody first becomes a Christian, we call them baby Christians. Have you ever heard that before? Say yes. Yes, you have. Um, and, and I don't think that's very helpful because when we think of a baby, what do we think of? Well, they're helpless, right? Uh, we, we feed them. Uh, they're consumers. They just consume. They consume diapers. They consume food. They just, and, and, and everything is about them, right? Well, that's not a good picture of what a brand new Christian is. I know brand new Christians who turn around and serve, share their faith, help other people come to faith. They're, um, I mean, maybe a rookie Christian, but not a baby Christian, because nowhere in our journey with Jesus are we supposed to be consumers. We're supposed to be contributors. We're all in full-time ministry. We're all called to that. And the Bible's absolutely clear on this. Uh, Peter, uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, says this. He says, but you are a chosen people. He's talking to the church collectively. You are a chosen people, a royal what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Guys, a priest, Peter's saying, you're a priest. I'm not a priest. Well, you're not a priest in how we think of professional full-time priests and they work for the Catholic Church and all that. But you're a priest. You represent God to people and people to God. Your job is to help people find and follow God. Your primary purpose on this earth is to make that connection, to introduce people to God and God to people. In the early church, they got this, right? They, they, there were not a lot of professionals, very few professional full-time ministry people. Everybody was full-time ministry people. The Apostle Paul captures this. He, he says uh, that you're a necessary part of of the whole equation that makes up the church. He refers to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as the body of Christ, and you are a necessary part of Jesus's body. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And one translation says a necessary part of it, and that is absolutely true. We're not all the same. We all, like the, Paul goes on to describe, you know, some people are ears and some are noses and some are eyes and some are toeses and fingers and elbows. And like they're all the different parts and they all play a different part in the body of Christ. We're not all going to be the same. Ministry doesn't look the same from person to person to person. But if you're not playing the part that you've been given, then the body is broken. Right? And so the body can continue without a hand or without an eye or without, but it's going to be a broken body. It's not going to be as effective as it could be. And God's design for his church, for his movement, for his kingdom, and for you is that you would be playing your part in his body, in his kingdom, because you are called into full-time ministry. Paul also uses the, uh, the terminology of an ambassador. You're an ambassador in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God's rescue plan for the world was to send Jesus to die for our sins and then to empower his people to go out and represent him in the world, make the introduction and, and, and help making his appeal to come be saved, come find life, come be adopted into God's family through you and through me as ambassadors. We're all called to full-time ministry. Well, in verse 8, it goes on. It says, these were his instructions. Take nothing, take nothing for the journey except for a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. That's kind of fun. I don't know. It kind of strikes me as funny. It's like those are some pretty specific instructions, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. Uh, you're going to take a staff. You can have a stick, but don't take bread. Don't take a bag. Don't take any money in, in your belts. And oh, you can wear shoes, but don't don't take an extra shirt. All right, and, and so this is Jesus' model for ministry, right? This is how we're supposed to do it. If we ever go out to do ministry, you can wear sandals, but don't take an extra shirt. No, that's not the case at all. I mean, this is not a model for ministry. Uh, and, and in fact, that brings me to my second point in this. There is no formula for ministry. There's no formula for ministry. In this situation, Jesus is teaching them something very specific, that they can trust 
God for their provision. They don't have to be all prepped out in order to go out and do ministry, but God will provide for them everything they need. And in order for them to learn that lesson really well, he wants them to go out with nothing so they can see it happen. He's teaching them that God will provide. But he's not setting up a model for ministry that we're to follow for the rest of our lives. I mean, one of the things I love about Jesus is every time he heals somebody, he does it different. Right? I mean, one guy, he's like, uh, you know, pick up your mat and walk. To, and to another, he spits on the ground and makes mud and wipes the mud on the guy's eyes. To, to somebody else, he's like, well, I'm not even going to go, but they'll be healed. Don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. And every time it's different because you know why, I, I, at least why I think he does this? Because we love models and we would fall in love with some model or methodology and we would try and make that the point. And that's not the point. Jesus does it different every time. With, with this, if you go down and if you look in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, is uh, prepping his disciples for his crucifixion. He's getting ready to leave. And, and he sa it says this, it's this, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? He's referring to what we just read. And uh, they said, nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, Take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So this is what he had them do then, and, and now he's gone from don't be prepped at all to, you know, kind of be a, be a prepper, get some, get some money, get a weapon, you know, get what you need, be ready for what's about to come. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's different every time. See, the secret to great ministry isn't a model. The secret to great ministry is listening for the voice of God and asking the question, what is God saying? And then when you understand what he's saying, you obey God, you do what he says. Now, there are times when, when maybe God doesn't have an opinion on it, or he's just like, yeah, go figure it out, or where you don't feel like you're hearing the voice of God, other than he has said to go, and he has said to go and do ministry. So we know that, but we go figure it out along the way. Or we rely on wisdom that we have gleaned along the way or the counsel of other people who are wiser than us. Or we look at scripture and we figure it out as best we can and God gets us to where we're going. Sometimes we're not hearing God's voice in the midst of that. And I think he's great with us figuring it out as we go in those situations. But sometimes, sometimes he's saying something very specific. Sometimes he'll, he'll say something and do what he says. Sometimes he'll say something you don't want to hear. Do what he says. When I was in college, I went to this little church, and, and uh, there was a guy in the church who had a chain of 50-plus restaurant franchises. I mean, he was a millionaire 100 times over, very, very wealthy guy. And he prayed, and he asked God, how am I to serve in the church? And, uh, and he got an answer I don't think he probably wanted to hear. What God told him to do was to come to the church on Wednesday and clean the church. He volunteered his Wednesdays to be the janitor at the church, and he scrubbed toilets with a toothbrush, and he vacuumed between rows, and he made that church sparkle and shine. He could have hired a fleet of people to come in every day and do that. But God told him to do it. And I think probably in that season, God was teaching him humility. 
I mean, he had so much to offer in the way of finance and real estate and, 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 and business acumen and all of that. And my guess is over time, God used that in his, his church and in his kingdom as well. Uh, but in that season, that's what God instructed him to do, and he did it. And it was inspiring, and it's inspiring enough that I'm sharing that story with you today. What's God telling you to do? Listen for his voice and do it. But, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of whether you have clear direction or the direction's not all that clear, one thing that is clear is that you are called into full-time ministry, and you need to get about that. Well, in verse 10, it says, where. Whenever you enter a house, Jesus goes on, he says, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So this is, you know, everybody's like, well, what does that mean? Well, this is basically what that means. This is point number three. You can write this down as well. Basically, walk through open doors. If the door is open, walk through it and walk away from closed doors. Walk, away, walk through the open doors, walk away from closed doors. An open door is, sounds something like this. Tell me more about that. Uh, an open door sounds like, you know, there's something about you. What, what, what is it? What, it? An open door is, let's grab some lunch, you know, and the, and the door opens and and you have an opportunity to maybe share your story. A closed door, a closed door is when your answer becomes an argument. A closed door is when you're pushing and pushing and pushing to try and get your, your Jesus information in, right? Uh, and, and, and listen, listen, don't do that. Don't be the person. Don't, when you are a pest for Jesus, it makes it much more difficult for the next Christian who comes along to share because they begin to put up walls and make opinions about those Christians when we are trying to kick down the door to their heart. You know, in the book of Revelations, it says Jesus is standing at the door of our heart and knocking. He's not kicking it down. Don't kick down doors. Walk away, give them room to breathe, and allow the Lord to bring someone else into their life or circle you back around, however. When the door is shut, shut up, and don't be a pest for Jesus. Well, in verse 12, it says, they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and they healed them. Fourth point, use both words and works. Use both words and works. They went out and they preached, but they also healed people and uh, freed people. Guys, words without deeds have no credibility at all, do they? I mean, if Jesus showed up on the scene and just started preaching, nobody would have really listened to him, no matter how good his preaching was. It wouldn't have... But God empowered Jesus to, to do works, to, to, to bring healing to people, to set people free, and it gave his message credibility in, in that time. You know, there are, a lot of, um, there are a lot of Christians I've met over the years who have a lot of words. 
You know, they, they love to, to, to debate theology. They'll sit and do Bible studies, and I believe Bible studies are good things, so I just want to be on, on record as saying that. Um, but they'll argue, you know, it, Calvinism versus Arminianism or, or all these different theological nuances, but they won't lift a finger to do anything. They just, you know, like, and they're really irrelevant. They are, and, 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 and so don't be that kind of Christian. I mean, it's okay to learn and, and wrestle with questions and all that, but if you're not living your faith out, then you have no credibility. See, words without works are, are irrelevant. Works without words, though, and this is super important, works without words have no eternal impact. So you can go out and do all kinds. You can feed the poor and take care of, you know, take care of the sick and and, uh, you know, you can even, you know, have healings or, or whatever else. And uh, if you're not letting people know why, if you're not sharing the gospel along the way and helping people find God and learn to follow him, it has no eternal impact whatsoever. You're just making people more comfortable on their way to hell. And, and so, you know, we can feed the poor all day long, but we also need to feed their souls and say, look, you know, Jesus is the way. And we need to be able to answer those who ask. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love the fact that he says do it with gentleness and respect because sometimes we need to dial it back a little bit. We need to be kind and respectful as we, as we, as we share what we believe. But when they ask you, be ready with an answer. Be ready to share why you believe in Jesus, why uh, you love him, what he's done in your life, and give your answer, not somebody else's answer, right? Your story You've heard this over and over again here uh, at the vineyard, but your story is powerful. Your story is good enough. I love the passage in the scripture where Jesus heals the blind guy, and uh, and he um, he uh, leaves, and they pull the blind guy into the the tribunal. The religious leaders are all upset about it because it was on a, a Sabbath, and they're giving him a hard time. And they're like, "He can't be the he can't be the Messiah. He can't be from God because he healed on the Sabbath." And they ask the blind guy, "What do you think?" And he's like, "I don't know. I'm just a blind guy." He said, "All I know is I was blind and I see. So I think there's something to this guy." And that was his story. What's yours? You know, I was blind, but now I see. My, my heart was empty and my life was fearful, but it's not anymore. My marriage was on the rocks, but you now we're, we're on the mend. Um, you know, I had no purpose, but my, now my life makes sense. What, what is your story? Be ready to give that answer and share what Jesus has done in your life because works without words has no eternal consequence whatsoever. It requires both works and words. Well, it says in verse 12 that they went out and preached that people should repent. Now, that's a loaded statement, especially in our culture today, isn't it? I mean, the, the word preach 
and the word repent are both loaded. They are just like, there's all this cultural stuff around. We think of a guy on the street corner standing on a soapbox with a bullhorn yelling at people, repent, you sinners, you're going to go to hell, turn or burn. You know, and, 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 and that's what we think of when we think of preaching and repent and preaching repentance. And that's our cultural context. But for them, preaching was really just telling. It was proclaiming. And repentance was turning around. You're walking away from God, turn around and walk towards God. You don't have to walk away from him anymore. He loves you. He, he, he sent his son to die for you, and he want, has a future and a hope for you. Turn around and come home. You don't have to. Uh, it, it's not about yelling. I think that, that kind of scares us away. You know, when I preach here on Sunday mornings, people will ask me in the conversations afterwards or out and about, you know, so, so, you know, when you gave your talk on Sunday, it, was that a sermon or were you preaching or teaching? Because I'm not yelling at people. I could yell at people, but I'm not, I'm not going to. Uh, and and so because it's not a, a hyped up emotional yelling, making you feel guilty kind of thing, because that's all the baggage we have around preaching uh, in, our, in our culture today. Uh, people are like, I'm not sure exactly where to put it. That's no, preaching. I'm just telling people about the good news about Jesus. Well, you know, the other question that this little passage raises is what about healing and deliverance? What about healing and the stuff with this, the unpure spirits? What is that? Uh, and does that even happen? I mean, did it happen then? Does it still happen today? And, and I want you to know that, yes, it did happen then, and yes, it does still happen today. Now, Jesus, there was something about Jesus's presence that provoked uh, spiritual, the spiritual opposition. And there was something about Jesus, I think the fact that he was Jesus, the Son of God, that he kind of batted a thousand when it came to dealing with, uh, with disease and, and spiritual forces. You know, it was like, well, you, uh, everybody got healed. You know, I mean, um, so, uh, but does this happen today? Absolutely. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own body. I've several times seen miraculous healing in my body. I have experienced it. I have prayed for people. I was one time a couple years back where there was a, a woman after the service who wanted prayer, and we just sat down and just started praying for her, and she was really wrestling with fear, like this irrational fear. And I just started praying and asking God to set her free from that fear. And whatever is at the root of that fear, just go now in the name of Jesus. And we were just sitting there, just conversational like this. And and as I was saying that, she started breathing really heavy, and I, I sensed that there was something there, something spiritual. And so I just said, you know, fear, go right now in the name of Jesus. And she just took this huge breath and let it out and then just kind of slumped in her chair. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, that, it was, there, there was a spiritual freedom that came to her in that moment. Does it happen? Yeah, it does. Is it, is it like people flailing? It's like... The exorcist? No, not necessarily. But there are spiritual forces today. And, and so God still heals. He still delivers people to this very day. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And, uh, and I believe as Christians, we're called to pray for it. I hope that you pray for people to be healed. Not everybody you pray for will be healed, but some will. Jesus bats a thousand and you bat, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred, you'd be doing all right. But but at least ask. The worst thing that will happen is the person will feel loved. 
I hope that you're praying for people to be free too. But keep in mind the reason these miracles came. It wasn't the, the point wasn't the miracles, right? The point was authenticating the message. The point was people's eternal salvation. Jesus didn't heal everybody. You know, remember back in Mark chapter 1, he, he, he didn't go back to Capernaum. And there are all these people that needed to be healed, but he left and he went, went, went somewhere else to preach about the kingdom in, in other towns. Jesus walked by people who were sick to heal other people. He didn't cast out every demon. And every person that he did heal or set free eventually died. And the point wasn't, hey, let's make their life better in, in the moment. The point was, let's get their attention and authenticate this message so that they end up in eternity with their heavenly Father as well. Jesus didn't come to fix everybody's problems. He came to fix everybody's problem. And that problem is our separation from God. And all the other stuff, all the other works, authenticate his words. Our works, I believe, authenticate our words as well. And that might be praying for somebody and say, hey, can I pray for you? Somebody who's in distress or needs some help or has something going on. It might be listening, like actually taking the time and the mental energy to focus on someone else and ask them how they're doing and follow up with questions and listen. And then maybe pray for them afterwards. It might be feeding the poor every year at Christmas or Thanksgiving, we do our Be the Blessing initiative and we end up cooking food for the homeless in Wheeling, West Virginia for the whole winter, right? Now, that's our works. And actually, in our culture today, that speaks volumes to anybody who sees it. That, that, what that says to, to people in our culture is they believe what they, they say they believe, and they're living it out. Maybe it's just being authentically you. We talked about this when we went through the parables a few weeks ago about how there's, there, you just don't fake it you're a follower of Jesus. You don't keep things in the dark. Just be honest, and it's refreshing, and it's like, oh, they are, they're really the real deal, and that authenticates our words then for people. Our works and how we live, they matter because they authenticate our message. And in some ways, I think some of those things are, uh, again, in the culture that we live in today, uh, maybe more effective than, uh, than healing and deliverance, although I think healing and deliverance are, are effective and, and, and there are opportunities for that as well. Well, the fifth point in this message is simply this. You can write this down as well. Trust God for the outcome. Trust God for the outcome. It'll always be different. The outcome will always be different. Some people are going to be open Others are not. That's not on you. That's on them and God. Ultimately, it's up to God. And here's what I found. When you don't feel like you have to kick the door down, when you, when you realize that this doesn't depend on you, I'm just here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open my mouth when God tells me to open my mouth and I'm going to serve when God tells me to serve. When you realize that just ultimately the outcome is in God's hands, you can relax and that makes you much more likable. It makes you much more winsome. It makes you much more effective. So trust God for the outcome. Now, in verse 14, Mark kind of pivots and goes into another, uh, uh, another story um, about John the Baptist. And I, and I think it illustrates this point really well 
two, this idea of trusting God for the outcome. And maybe by the time I get to the end, you'll understand where I'm going with this. But let's pick up in verse 14. It says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. So he heard about all that, that was going on and people traveling around and all the miracles and the preaching and all that. He heard about it, and Jesus was becoming well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, which was one of their Old Testament prophets, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So he, Herod's a little bit afraid because he's had John executed. For Herod himself had been had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. That's a little weird. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. And there's a whole other sermon there about people not wanting to be you know, no, not wanting to, to, to be confronted with moral right and wrong uh, and what the lengths they're willing to go to. But again, a sermon for another day. But she was not able to kill him. So because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, was, when Herod heard John he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So Herod would have John come in and preach to him, and it was kind of entertainment for him. He's like, wow, this is interesting. I don't get any of it, but wow, that's, that's you know, bring him back next week, you know. Uh, and so he would have John come in, but he was protecting him, and he enjoyed listening to him. Finally, the op opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said, the king, who happened to be very drunk at the time, this is a good reason not to drink too much, I'm just saying. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask I will give you up to half my kingdom. What an idiotic thing to say. But again, he probably has three sheets to the wind. Anyway, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered, what any rational person would ask for, right? At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, the king was less drunk than he was, and greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, you're like, how does that tie in to trust God for the results? Well, let me, let me explain. John, John the Baptist, is executed. We're not even halfway through the Jesus story, right? John was probably the, the second most important person next to Jesus in the whole New Testament, maybe in the whole story of Israel. And yet he loses his head completely unjustly in the story, doesn't get to see the end of the story, doesn't get to see the redemption 
of Israel. And there's another guy at this point in time who is out healing people and driving out demons and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. His name's Judas Iscariot. He's there for all the victories. He gets to see the whole thing happen up until almost the end. And in the end, John is a hero and Judas is a traitor. But if you were to look at their circumstances, you would think John had done something wrong or missed out or whatever. But you never judge your effectiveness by your circumstances, but by your faithfulness. Our circumstances are going to vary. Some of us are going to have easier circumstances than others. And in our ministry, there are people who are faithful and effective, but it's a struggle. And for other people, it just comes easy. Uh, and, and, and that's life. But, you know, I mean, there are evil super villain, villain billionaires who are going to die rich and in the lap of luxury, you know, and they're evil, right? <laughs> I mean, our circumstances are not an indication of God's favor or our faithfulness. They just aren't. John lost his head, but he changed the world. And ultimately, he gets to see that change from the other side of eternity, right? But he didn't get to see it in this life. Ultimately, John goes on to become one of the top heroes in all of human history. Guys, God will use you too if you let him. And like John, you might not get to see the full extent of your impact in this life. Like John, you might be done wrong along the way. It doesn't mean that God's not with you. It doesn't mean that God's not using you. It doesn't mean that your purpose is any different. And what it does mean is whether it's on this side of, of eternity or on the other side, you eventually will get to see the fruit of your labor and the fruit of your faithfulness. So friends, be faithful no matter what because you have been called into full-time ministry and God has a purpose for your life that's bigger than you. Let's live that way. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for creating us for more than just our own self-entertainment. I pray, God, that you would help us who claim to be followers of Jesus to live that way, to live on purpose, to be your hands and feet, to be your ambassadors, to be, to be your, your tools in this world, Lord, to, to play the part that you've created us and called us to play. And I pray that all of us would engage. And for those, Lord, who, who are on the fence, who haven't made a decision about you yet, who are checking you out or, um, or, or trying to figure out what they believe, I pray that you would open their eyes to see that you have so much more, so much more love, so much more life, so much more peace, so much more purpose than anything this world can offer. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.